Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart, a.k.a. Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 77. I have got two episodes for you that I recorded at Future Build 2022. That was back at the beginning of March in London XL. I was there as part of the ACAN, the Architects Climate Action Network area, and I was very pleased to be discussing straw as insulation and earth floors with really anybody who would listen. Uh, Really, really fantastic to connect with so many wonderful members of the public, people I'd met before, listeners to this podcast, uh, got to hang out with a lovely bunch of natural builders and geeked out about all sorts of things. And of course, all of the ACAN team who came together to build a really great area really was the highlight of the show for for many, many people. So thank you to everyone that I got to hang out with. It was totally worth catching COVID for. So I was able to find a bit of time to to wander around the Excel Centre and find a few interesting people to talk to. Um, There is quite a bit of background noise and somehow my voice is very low in the mix uh that was me not being very used to uh field recordings this might not be the best thing to listen to if you are in a van or sort of noisy uh i I don't know if you're going to cut through the the background noise i've done my very best to to remove it and uh you know maybe um maybe this doesn't work so well and i won't do it again uh do let me know in the building sustainability community facebook group um a useful forum for feedback and letting me know that sort of stuff um also it's trade show so you get that sort of trade show style of talking yeah it's not the normal relaxed uh drinking tea building sustainability podcast uh type episode um okay so first up we have vince house from erico Uh, talking about demand-controlled ventilation. Interesting stuff. Have a listen. This ventilation system modulates airflow according to the demands of the property. 
And that we know that that would change room by room. So there'll be a varying demand for ventilation, depending on what's going on. If, if people are sleeping at night, that's the room that needs more ventilation. If they're cooking in the kitchen, that would be the area that needs the most at that time. So what we've got here is uh, a system that can monitor that and change what it needs to do to make sure that we're always in that sweet spot of humidity. So, uh-huh. so it's humidity, or, it's or humidity or... driven. Um, so there's an optimum zone between sort of 40 and 60% in our homes, which is what we want to achieve. We're looking at trying to get in the middle of that at 50%, but obviously there'll be a plus and minus depending on what the activities are. So the way that it measures it is having a sensor in each room and very straightforward sensor. When you talk about sensors, people normally think about some electronic device that's going to pick up CO2 or whatever. But these are basically nylon, eight nylon strips. And what happens to nylon as a material is when it becomes moist, it grows in length. And when it dries, it shrinks. So what we can do is then amplify that motion of, you know, expanding and contracting and modulate airflow. And that's either exhausting from those wet rooms um, or to bring the air in. Again, it will modulate the airflow into the house. Whatever you're pulling out needs to come back in. Yeah. So then by having that very simple but effective sensor, which we've been doing those for 38 years we give a 30 year guarantee because there's not a lot to go wrong <laughs> frankly um, so it's so a really good life expectancy yeah. of the units um, but they're really accurate and, and we still believe that in terms of measuring indoor air quality m- moisture still seems to be the best and most I suppose the easiest thing to detect mm to actually monitor what, what the rest of the indoor air quality is. Because if, if, you, if you're measuring moisture, you by default, you're dealing with CO2, you're dealing with VOCs, you're you know getting rid of all of those nasties yeah. as well. So I suppose where it is a little bit different is in its operation, you're modulating airflow and you'll have the wet rooms normally connected back to a, a centralised system. Now, depending on the building, if it's retrofit, it's not always possible to have lots of ducting going through a property. Yeah. So in those scenarios, we might have more than one fan unit localised to that wet room or those wet rooms. The, the which, type like we're looking at here, so like a bathroom extractor? Well, or... you'd probably have um, a, grill, uh, a grill like this, which you know is like a regular bathroom extracts mm-hmm. but then that would be ducted back to a, a larger fan unit right. and we we believe in the principle of capacity of our buildings so it's no point having a fixed rate ventilation system that has a ceiling figure right or a minimum figure as well what this can actually do is go way above building regulations if the demand is there because we're, we're, we're assuming lots of things on building regulations. We're assuming capacity, you know, occupancy. And that sometimes 80% of the time is correct. Yeah, but it can a tangible fall, thing, isn't it? It can fall over very quickly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's specific, typically what we've found in social housing. 
particularly in areas where there's over-occupancy because it's quite expensive to live in those areas. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's when those issues of excess moisture come in, you get the condensation, you get the mould because the system has a ceiling level on it. Um, so normally normally our design would might be up to twice as much as what building regs would require, but because we've got those sensors that are actually modulating according to the demands, yeah. it's only ever going to ventilate what it needs to. And that actually, that brings you on to sort of that efficiency part of it. Mm. <laughs> because ventilation clearly is all about indoor air quality. That's the primary goal. We, we, we manage that very well. But secondary to that, you're always looking at the energy efficiency. Mm. Now, we found and, and have known that MVHR is a very good system and it delivers good indoor air quality and it recovers that energy. Yep. Without very sophisticated controls, the thing that it doesn't necessarily do is do that intelligently. You tend to ventilate the whole house regardless of occupants in different areas. Mm-hmm. So... For that process, you can actually end up using quite a lot of primary energy to extract out of that those wet rooms and to supply back in. Right, yeah. So to get the energy back, you actually, the heating element back, you actually have to use quite a lot of energy to make that happen. And that, that's one of the things I, I really like about this system because you're only ever ventilating according to the needs, you're never under-ventilating and you're never over-ventilating. Yeah. So there, there was a, a report that came out by Ghent University. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but they're, they're in Belgium. Uh-huh. They looked at 274 passive houses and half of those houses had MVHR and the other half had a demand control ventilation system. Okay. Exhaust only, you know, extract only, no heat recovery. Mm-hmm. They tested those houses, monitored them for 12 months. And what they really wanted to do was look at three, three criteria. What was the indoor air quality like in each one? That's the first thing. Yep. How much less heating cost was there for the heat recovery system? And what was the energy to run those? So, so the, the indoor air quality, it was nothing. It was a draw. Right. Well, one didn't win over the other. It, it was, that, that was just, you couldn't choose between the systems. The heat recovery, not unsurprisingly, was more efficient. It, it, I, I believe it was around 6% energy saving on okay. the heating. So that's good. Yep. Um, so that was a win <laughs> for MVHR. When they looked at the primary energy... It was five times the usage. So, sorry. Five times the usage for MVHR and, and primary to recover. energy means what it actually costs. What? How much power is that unit consuming? So that in itself is a, a commodity that's really important. It's, it's your energy. Basically. Yeah, it's your energy. It's your yeah. electricity to run that unit. So you had to use five times the amount of energy to get quite a small amount of heat back. Yeah. And actually, when you added those two elements together, you weren't 
better off. It was a net loss compared right. to the demand control. So command control, just ventilating air straight out. Without heat recovery, Without heat recovery. was actually more efficient in that study. Which is an absolutely mind-blowing thing. And, and yeah. all the passive house nuts would just <laughs> they'd absolutely crucify me at the moment. But it's there. It's a study. It's a 149-page document. Um, and, and actually, what, what I quite liked um, about that study, it just shows that it's not the only way. Mm. And I think primary energy, and, and also when you start looking at the other elements, like the embodied carbons, I mean, how much product you've actually got to put in, to systems, you know, that that is becoming a much bigger um, deciding factor now. But but the one thing that that study also showed was what does it cost you? You know, they, they did a projection over 15 years and they said, right, we're looking at the, the capital expenditure, how much for that equipment, how much to run it, and how much to maintain it. And the headline figure on that was that it would cost you 350 euros a year more to run MVHR. Wow. With no seeming benefit of indoor air quality, which is the whole reason that you're putting that system in there in the first place. So a really interesting report, frankly. That is fascinating, yeah. Um, And that's obviously... So you said that was passive houses. They were passive houses, so... Is there any such sort of report on, you know, regular houses? So what, what we found, we, we did some like-for-likes in Tipperary. Okay. And actually, we were looking at uh, heat metering on those properties. And they, they, they weren't passive house standard. They were just fairly regular, mm-hmm. probably what most people are living in today. Um, the, the differences we found between those was about a pound difference okay. in consumption per month. Um, so actually... Two pounds now. Probably, probably two pounds now yeah but but then again you know when when you start looking at the capital costs when you start looking at maintenance you know filters need replacing and you know that could quickly offset any savings that you might get yeah on the energy so you know it's a really interesting thing and look we've we've, we've done quite a lot of passive houses where or net zero energy buildings in london nz sorry in in ireland I'm saying London. In Ireland, there's a lot of uh, NZ properties, and that primary element, primary energy element, is quite key. You know, yeah. if you're harvesting or producing your own electricity, you don't want that all feeding products and systems that are just constantly chugging away without any intelligence behind what they're doing. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting world when you start looking at the different technologies available. Uh, what I really like about yours is the, uh, that it's intelligent, but it's really simple. Like, it's basic. <laughs> yeah. That's a really, I mean, that sort of, like, seems like a dream, uh, yeah. a dream solution, yeah. really. And, and listen, we're, the, the, the passive element is, is, is quite nice. You know, the, the inlets that we use, there's no wiring, no batteries. And <clears throat> I, I was chatting to a chap um, a couple of days ago who uh, has got a property in Wales and just wanted virtually no electricity. Mm. So we use, um, we're going to design for him a passive stack system. Uh, and because we have humidity control on our grills, he will have a completely energy-free ventilation system. Fantastic. Like, and, and it will work 
really well. Yeah. <laughs> like, no question about it. It'll work really well. We'll, we'll design it for him. And um, he was really excited about the fact that he could have something that was completely passive and, and still offer... I mean, we, we need Mother Nature to help a little bit with the passive systems. You can't always rely so when, on it. So when you're saying passive, you mean like no fan? No fan. No electronic fan. So just by using the, uh, the chimney effects, the draw of temperature difference or wind speed going, going over what would be the uh, top of the stack for the ventilation but cleverly because we have these nylon sensors that can open and close according to the humidity you've got a control element yeah so it's not like just having holes all over the property you've got that control to uh help minimize drafts because that's that's another big thing yeah um you know although in Europe, we refer to drafts as ventilation. In <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in the UK, it's drafty. It's drafty, but but look, I, I totally get that because holes in walls without any control is not necessarily a great idea. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. Yeah. and I guess I mean my hole in a wall seems to be you know cold air condensation issues, hot air meeting cold air. Yeah, I think I think the thing is it. it it all depends on, I suppose, the air tightness of the property mm. and, and what, when you have a negative pressure system, so you're drawing air out of the property, you're taking that stale air out, you have to reintroduce it. So it, it's all about where you're bringing it in from. And obviously, if you've got a system that opens and shuts the aperture according to the demands, you're going to be bringing it in in very defined areas Um, and you know normally that flow of air is enough to stop any condensation if there is condensation it might be a cold bridging issue or there might be some other element Um, but typically a hole in the wall would produce that put a decent controlled ventilation system behind it it doesn't become an issue it becomes part of the part of the system actually yeah yeah that's fantastic. <laughs> um, sorry, can you say your name and the, the company? Oh, yeah. So I'm Vince House. I, I work with Erico. I'm proud to work with Erico. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to sort ventilation. It's what I do. Brilliant. And here is a little bit more from Vince. One of the things that I see a lot in the industry is um, you, you can make the best products going, really efficient products, but actually unless they get commissioned correctly and installed correctly they will fall over yeah and this is a big issue that we have in the industry where there there doesn't seem to be as much skill and i speak to a lot of electricians and talk to them about ventilation and duct runs and they say well look i'm i'm just an electrician this is way over (laughs) this is way over what i know so there's a real education and, and and one of the things we like to do and, and something that has made us get all that repeat business is following the process from end to end so it's really important to have a design mm-hmm. something that's going to work you know you're, you're taking into account everything about that building and what usage it might have and obviously you want to make sure that you, you adhere to building regs or past 2035 that's part of it but you the real important part is actually making sure that it gets installed and actually that's when you've got to work with whoever's been tasked with that job (laughs) of doing it and because we 
certify the systems. We test that they work and they're right. hitting the design criteria. What what you don't want to do is just end up at the very end of a project and test it because nine times out of ten there'll be a problem Mm -hmm. so it's much easier for everyone to get involved during the install and making sure that the components or or the selection of products is correct on the ducting it's viable what routes are being taken to to do ducting and things and you know and actually when it comes to installing that we're making sure that we're getting airtight ducting you know and making sure it can work and that if i work well with the contractor or whoever's installing it to begin with at install given that knowledge when i come to certify it it just becomes a really simple process because we know that everything's been done yeah when i've had projects where we fixed price for them the product's been bought and they phoned me up and said right we're ready for you to commission my heart just (laughs) it sinks yeah because you know you're gonna go there and it will all be finished and you're like right (laughs) what size ducting did you use because you know even though it's written on all our designs sometimes it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. um and and it can be just embarrassing for everyone and and costly as well particularly when you're saying look i've got to stand over this we've got to get it right because if we don't get this right there'll be consequences so that that that's something we're we're proud of doing. We're happy to work with people, and and actually those contractors and installers that I have worked with, that is where we get our continued business because they've had the experience. It, yeah. It's normally been pleasant. They've <laughs> normally been <laughs> even when I think that you know this guy's never going to talk to me again. Um, out of the blue, I get a phone call. So right, I've got another job. Will you come and you know? Will you come and see me on this one? We'll get it right this time. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and, and that's wonderful, actually. It's great to get that engagement. And you learn so much as well. You know, yes, we're a manufacturer, but when you're actually side by side, you know, shoulder to shoulder with the guys installing it, that's when you learn what you should be specifying, how you overcome those issues. Yeah, those yeah. things that you never considered when you were designing it yeah. in real life situations. Yeah, and, and particularly for retrofits, mm. really challenging. You know, most properties have not been designed to take M&E equipment. You know, they might be Victorian, they might be older. You know, you've got to find really neat solutions. And, and well, certainly the installers I've worked with quite often they'll come up with a really neat solution that never crossed my mind. And then I gain that knowledge from what they've come up with. And I can then take that to a next project. So, yeah, we we did this because that worked really well. And I don't know why I never thought of it, but, you know, it's great to work together in those scenarios. But And you get those outcomes. That's the thing. Yeah. And without that, without that engagement, you can't guarantee that what you're ending up with is going to work. And, that, and that's that's what we like to say, you know, ventilation that works. It's very simple. Yeah. can be done. Lots of people fail at it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. It does, it feels like, I mean, it feels like quite a new, I mean, you said you've been going 38 years. 38 feels, years, yeah. It feels like a newer idea, uh, you know, as we've thought about closing up houses more then the ventilation could come in. Yeah. So it feels like, you know, in the scheme of things, quite a new industry. Yeah, I, I think 
I think that's absolutely spot on, actually. We, we've been in the UK for 28 years now. And what we've found in that time is there's never been a greater demand than what we're seeing today. And legislation has helped with that. We've got some new... We, we got some new um, new information in Part F, new legislation that for the first time we're seeing existing buildings actually when you're carrying out energy efficiency measures to those that they should adhere to past 2035 or you know the, the latest building regulations, which is something that has never happened before. You know, yeah. so the industry is actually understanding and realizing, oh yeah, you know what, you can't just start sealing up your homes and not think about the ventilation. And, and actually, it's been great that the industry is engaging in that way, that we're seeing more from government-based projects, which we're involved in a lot of those decarbonisation schemes. Yeah. And there's a lot of learnings there as well. They're trying to find out what's the best methods and if it's going wrong, why is it going wrong? You know, very much what past 2035 is about, you know, yeah. decades of getting it wrong to produce a <laughs> document to say how to do it right. Um there's never been more focus, but there's still a lot of education. I think one of the real issues that we face as an industry is the value of ventilation. Now, the pandemic has certainly increased the awareness of good ventilation from a, a perspective of viruses. Um, but what I see more often than not is it's an afterthought. And I might speak to self-builders that have just come along and said I've been told I need ventilation you know and, it, and, it, and it's sort of something that they hadn't even really factored into yeah. their sort of build or their their you know costs of cost of doing that and, that, and that's something that we haven't done particularly well in the UK you know if you, you go somewhere like Sweden they'll have a moisture risk expert at the start of the project right. that will follow that project all the way through construction to the handover to the client where they'll actually say this is the system that you've got. This is how you interact with it. Yeah, I think they call it the BIGAF method or something. It's in the uh, white paper, Moisture in Buildings, which is a great document produced by BSI. Right. So that value of ventilation is the education of why we have it. And, and I still speak to a lot of building surveyors that we're going into these properties laden with moulds and still can't believe it is just poor ventilation that's causing all of these issues mm. sometimes that might not be the case there might be other factors there might be cold bridging issues yeah. with a building but you know the, the ventilation is a, a a cheap way to once you know that that's working well <clears throat> if there's other issues with that property they'll present themselves in very defined ways you know, you'll, you'll say, right, that is a cold bridging issue right there because it's so specific to that so spot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there, there's still a long way to go, but I'm encouraged by how the industry is reacting right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and certainly we're enjoying lots of engagement on that as well and education as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Vince. That was really interesting stuff. And something I didn't really know existed. Uh, I didn't manage to find the paper from Ghent University. So if anyone can point me towards it, then I'll add it to the show notes. But definitely the moisture in buildings white paper is there in the show notes for you to download now. 
Next, we are heading to Matt Stevenson from Ecosystems Technologies. So what, what we're in here is a, a demonstrator uh, u, uh, display unit, which we've manufactured for Suprema Group, a supply chain partner, which showcases all the different natural materials that, that, that they can supply to the market within the build systems which we've, we've evolved. Um, so it's really about how to put these fantastic products together into systems that can respond to a whole raft of different uh, applications, whether it's domestic, commercial, uh, schools, uh, you know, just, just across the board, and just to really try and amplify that, that this is the way to build in the future. Yeah, very aligned in our, uh-huh. our aims. Um, so, so we're looking at some pretty chunky bits of wood. Yeah, you? yeah. What? So, so the wood, the wood elements, so that you can see, uh, we're really excited to be able to present our homegrown mass timber products. So, uh, the, we've uh, been able to finally break that uh, that that gridlock around bringing homegrown uh, mass timber products to the market. So, we've got cross laminated, glue laminated, and nail laminated uh, products on show here, plus our glue laminated timber portal, which is a really efficient structural uh, solution, um, and. What's been exciting is, is to be able to demonstrate homegrown Scottish timber is absolutely fit for purpose to create uh, engineered products. And that allows us to start really moving uh, that, that homegrown resource up the value chain, lock carbon in for longer. So, you know, really, really exciting trajectory. Where, where at the moment uh, are the timbers coming from? Not well, it'd be imported uh, engineered timber, which variously from Austria, Germany, France, uh, Spain, there's, you know, there's a, a, a plentiful sort of supply of, uh, of uh, European uh, manufacturers of, of the products. So, yeah. Great. I mean, I, I clad my house in, uh, in cedar, yeah. partly, and uh, the battle to get yeah. English cedar, not sure. Siberian or sure. Canadian or... Yeah. Um, so yes, <laughs> I'm fully on board. With that. Yeah, no, good. Um, how um, how are people sort of taking to this? Like, is is the idea of wooden buildings? Mm. I know some people are a bit hesitant mm. about. Yeah, I think I think we're an, we're an interesting point at the moment because we finally got that unlocking of uh, awareness of the importance of embodied carbon in, in our build. So, yeah, 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 it's been a, you know, it's felt like, you know, preaching into the wind for a long time. But no, there's the, we've, we've got that moment where that recognition is there. So that creates these, the really uh, ideal enabling conditions to, to do the sort of thing that we're doing. In, in balance with that, of course, we've got a context with, you know, concerns over fire, you know, stemming from, from, from the Grenville tragedy. Um, and, and unfortunately, timbers have been, you know, got a lot of a lot of the sort of attention as a combustible material, even though, no, no, even though it had, had no bearing. And, you know, the, the bit that I think survived was the fire doors, which were timber. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it, but it's, it's, it's important that we address these concerns. But it's important to understand that a mass timber solution, you know, is, is a, if detailed right and if we understand the, the, the fire strategy is really important. And we're, we're really fortunate uh, to have a project on the go at the moment with UK, Innovate UK funding, uh, which allows us to get University of Edinburgh to do a whole, a whole raft of fire, fire testing on our homegrown product. And that will help us help inform how we can best use it. And and we're approaching it the right way around in that is understand seeking to understand that first so we can actually design the product to perform as well as it possibly can uh, in the presence of fire and where um, where might we be using some massive mm-hmm. well there's uh there's all you can, it's really suitable for any application but 
uh, the, some of the exciting work that we're doing at the moment is seeing uh, uh, homegrown cross laminated and glue laminated timber uh, product going into um, a zero <coughs> a zero carbon schools initiative uh, uh, called uh, Gen Zero. So UK government uh, Department for Education have uh, just culminated a an Innovate UK funded piece of work to to look at. Uh, schools uh, manif- built and delivered in the future being able to be predominantly timber based and we've been delighted to ch- demonstrate that that could be a UK uh, home- homegrown mass timber uh, source for that and so that's a massive application um, that we're also looking in tandem with that at a retrofit uh, school solution because it's so important that we're retrofitting as well as building new um, so really pleased to be in, involved with that and we're, we're also looking at domestic retrofit and actually a lot of what what's in this stand here is a is what we're calling our near home solution, which allows us to go to take a vacant uh, building, whether it's a vacant retail space or a, an old um, uh, uh, historic building, and actually create a box within a box solution for that, which is very uh, conf- configurable. It's kit apart, it's configurable. It can be repurposed, reused. So, you know, very circular uh, solution for that. So, so there, there's a few. There's, there's tons more, but there's a few, few, few applications that we're seeing. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm very pleased to be in here. Like, you know, uh, I was just saying to you that I'm, I filled my house with Hubba yeah. Flex. Yeah, so no, to no. see that that you know proudly there is yeah. is great. No, no. And, no. And what's the what's the sort of uptake on that? I think. Well, good. I think. I mean, you know, we're we're in, a, in a, an exciting position where actually the 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 necessity is to increase the uh, capacity of, uh, of of these natural products being manufactured. You know, um, Supreme and Pavitex. You know, the the materials on allocation at the moment because there's such a healthy demand. Some somewhat influenced by policy and policy change towards you know more use of timber in, in Europe. So you know, let's let's see that uh, kicking off uh, to a similar effect in in the UK. Um, so you know, the, it's the, it's exciting to see you know how that can scale and how we can make best use of uh, of of that of that natural resource, that biogenic resource. So what what these systems seek to do is to use each bit of uh, of that natural fiber as effectively as we can, and they're very complementary uh, uh, you know uses within within the system. Yeah, and the ones you've got on display here. Yeah, I'm, am I right in thinking all of those are, are recycled? So the the, the Pavaflex would uh, come uh, from uh, virgin material, I believe, um, okay. but it would be probably uh, a byproduct of the milling process. So it's actually adding value to some something that might go to a lower grade solution. Otherwise, right. so we're moving it up the value chain, holding it in the sort of carbon cycle for longer. The Pavatex still is a recycled uh, textile product, so that very much you know is is, is finding an, a, a good end use for for that uh, recycled product. Um, the uh, the universal is a is a cellulose, uh, so it's recycled newspaper. So again, yeah, very very much a recycled product. Um, something like the cork uh, product, which uh, which we've got um, within the roof construction, that that's that's virgin material as well. Um, but uh, you know, there's other there's a, a team um, here from UCL who are looking at uh, trying to use recovered timber to make CLT. So we had a really good conversation yesterday, and it's just great to see you know how can we. Yeah, where, where as well as doing retrofit, where there is any demolition of existing buildings, yeah, can we recover that that resource and keep keep it higher up the value chain for longer? And can we incorporate that in a mass timber product? I'd be really interested to see you know where that conversation yeah. could go. So, I just um, I had a conversation with the guy who uh, manages the estate mm. where I live, mm. and he was saying that 
they sold a load of uh, sweet chestnut, mm. overgrown sweet yeah. chestnut trees, which the, the timber's bad mm. because it splits sure. naturally. Mm. And he said that he sold a load of that for cross-laminated timbers. Oh, because, interesting. Yeah. You know, you're cutting it up and mm. sticking it all back together. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's kind of perfect. Yeah, no, good, good. Well, you know, we need to find, you know, the, the, the majority of this comes from, you know, uh, plantation grown, you know, for, uh, forest, well-managed forests. Um, uh, and, it, you know, it's that commercial sort of route, but we need to find ways to uh, add to that resource availability by complementing it with, you know, finding ways to use uh, some of the sort of uh, the hardwood species, some of the other, you know, species that, that you know, more have got less obvious routes to, to, uh, to into products and things. So. Oh, just the, the sustainable forestry. Mm. Yes. Yeah. How is how truly sustainable is mm. that? Mm. I mean, is it clear felling big, big strips? Of- well, it's 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 not it's not my area of expertise okay. to properly comment on, but I, I do believe that you know uh, forestry management uh, principles are constantly evolving to make sure that there's a balance between you know between the the, the sustainable and the the um, the biodiversity and uh, and and the productive uh, woodland so but it's really important that there's a balance in in those things and we need more uh we need more amenity uh, woodland to and more engagement for that but we also need more productive woodland so that we're, we're gaining the resource um that, that we're going to need you know it's great if this gets wider adoption that creates a new uh, headache of where, where do we get uh, the resource from and how do we how do we do that in a, in a in a balanced and sustainable way you yeah. know it doesn't grow overnight so we need to be as, as efficient as we can be uh, and that you know we need to we need more you know the whole thing of need more timber in buildings but yeah we've got to be got to be very targeted about it and, and the systems we're evolving look to optimize it, all of the fiber that, that's in there so that we're only using as much timber as we need to um very efficiently and that of course makes it more viable financially as well as uh more more impactful environmentally We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. And what sort of, um, we're, we're stood next to a poster yeah. uh, showing the, yes. the carbon. Yeah. Uh, what, what sort of improvements are we getting? Mm. Uh, or sequestered? Well, sequestered yeah. Yeah, carbon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, we're, we're seeing really, really positive uh, benefits, the the, the, the um poster there is is very much about the uh, Pava, uh I think it's about the Pava roof so it's about um, you know comparing that with a more conventional uh, solution and I think we've got a 60 kilo uh, per square meter difference um, within that um, and that we're, we're not able within those calculations to really look at the whole life cycle which would give us a, a further uplift but if we look you know at that um, at, at that A1 to A4 sort of um, phase, then that, they were seeing that 60 kilo, and that's pushing us into you know carbon negative um, uh, with that. So uh, we're yeah we're excited about the the positive impact that 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 can have. Um, I think across the piece, more efficient design. You know, 
we can have lighter weight foundations. We can have you know more recoverable sort of materials within the, the foundation systems as well. So that's the tip of hopefully what's a very big iceberg of benefits. So. Yeah. Nice. Um, and can we geek out about cork? Yeah, absolutely. It. It's, it's <laughs> amazing, and I was so excited to see the image of your unit with uh, with the cork as an external material. So um, that that's um, that coming to one of our buildings soon that's oh, for brilliant. sure so, yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, some people think it's not sustainable right okay i, I think there's confusion about yeah. how it's how yeah it's yeah no i'm sure you're chopping down the trees no no well i mean it's it's, it's it's i you will probably know far better than than i do about the process but you know as i understand it's it, it can, you know if done right and there's always you know exceptions to that if done right it's extremely uh, regenerative and extremely sustainable and you're not you're not cutting the tree down therefore you're not impacting the ground and the soil conditions and everything else so you know we uh, it's great that we can find applications for it because it not only m- means that the existing uh, woodland can be sustained especially you know you imagine how, how few corks now are made with cork we need uh, alternative applications and this is a fantastic application for it um, so and hopefully that can invigorate more more planting and more you know uh, more more woodlands have been established so no i think i think that's a there's there's a lot of myths and, and misconceptions that we have to uh, come across that's been one of the principal sort of challenges that we've had to overcome with the homegrown mass timber you know the perception that the homegrown product isn't suitable or that we won't get the yields if we dry it or you know any number of sort of concerns you know the great the best thing to do is go out do it demonstrate it and then that you know that removes all those uh, misconceptions and that's you know this is this is delivered at commercial scale volumes uh so we know the drying process works we're working with fantastic partners you know bsw have got the knowledge to dry down material to the right moisture content you know so yeah it's 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 yeah misconceptions are a plague 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 our industry don't they serious part of my job is yeah i mean that's my talk here yeah no brilliant half of it is mm. what are the misconceptions yeah. that you've got no fantastic and how how can i squash them? yeah yeah absolutely yeah no, great and straws are fun you know it's exciting the first two builds that i ever did were straw bale in a in a closed panel solution oh, nice. that we uh, we uh, came up with so um and you haven't used it recently because we're focusing on trying to get the systems and the volume through that but it's such a such a great material so yeah yeah brilliant I've got our factory in Invergordon. We're about to do um, this our our build system, our retrofit build system that we've done for near home to do uh, office fit out uh, retrofit solution. We're we're just about to add some steroids into the mix and end up with an industrial building retrofit um, system. Right. So we will be achieving, I think, something like a 17 meter clear span to do that, and that will allow us to take a a 1970s, 80s uh, uh, steel shed that's that's already exists, but is you know is leaky. Is not you know it's, it's, it's we we would wish to describe it as a controlled environment, but it's controlled in terms of it keeps most of the rain off. Uh, we can convert that into a, a a space that is controllable, that's fit for purpose for manufacturing our homegrown uh, mass timber products uh, with this retrofit solution. That's and that can be in the future. Dis- disassembled and reassembled somewhere else if if, if need to be or disassembled and become a, a, a new build structure if if the external fabric gets to a point where that where you know it gets to its natural end of life yeah. the internal uh, fit out solution is still got plenty of longevity in it yeah. so so yeah trying to trying to trying to have that few, yeah full 
circular and future-proofed us think thoughts in mind do you um I, one of the things i struggle with mm. uh, certainly in a place like this is it strikes me that you're someone who thinks mm. about all you know, you're mm. trying to find <laughs> the absolute best yeah yeah sure not, you won't settle for you know yeah. we've got this insulation so that's why yeah, we should yeah, be using yeah. it yeah. So actually uh, let's search out the yeah. very best yeah. in all in all scenarios yeah so it's an interesting conundrum because you need to be highly collaborative and uh, very uncompromising to do what we're, what we're doing well. So that, that those, yeah, seems an odd, odd, yeah, odd thing. Yeah, they're not mutually uh, exclusive. Um, uh, so, uh, and I suppose what we're driven to deliver is the impact. So we we have there has to be a pragmatism that we need to get these solutions on the ground as soon as possible so we will often we will typically be trialing something new with every project um and the best time to try try the new idea is probably uh on the project you're already working on so that causes us headaches and disruption but is it's the way to you know advance things we, we've got to be impatient we've got you know that we are in an emergency we can't we can't do it in 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 it, we can do it in fast increments but we can't do it in slow increments so yeah. um so i think that's yeah it's that interesting balance we want it to be perfect but we also want it to be out there so um yeah it, but it's seeking con- that constant improvement i suppose so. good i mean yeah i'm, I'm the mm. same it's every mm. everyone is slightly yeah. slightly tweaked and yeah slightly testing yeah which adds a whole other layer of stress. That's it, that's it. It'd be nice just to go, right, that's it, nailed, let's just repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah, yeah, so uh, that'd be far too straightforward, wouldn't it? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. nice one matt thank you for that uh after we finished recording we realized that we had actually both built straw bale houses for the same client in the same place um he built the main house and then a few years later i built a holiday home roundhouse with heartwind there um so yeah it's a, a very small natural building world okay well that is it for this episode There is another episode of a couple more conversations available. That's episode 78. So you can head straight there. And just before you go, please, can you do me a favor? If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, can you go over there and just give it a five star rating? That would be ace. Thank you. And if you're listening on Apple, could you spend two minutes and write a very quick review? 
does make the world of difference to how many people get to hear the podcast. So that'd be very much appreciated. All right. Until next time. Thank you. Bye.